Okay, this morning we are in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. We had began discussing this last week. I don't think I did the cross-references though. And it says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, coming to God by faith, as understood in the Scriptures, and particularly here in Hebrews, means coming to God on His terms. And I think that's something that we need to be very clear about in this day of relativism and pluralism. Because there are a lot of people who are willing to have a, some sort of faith, and they're willing to have faith even in God, but they would reserve for themselves the right to come to God however they see fit. And there are even Christians who see it that way. But as a matter of fact, God specifies very clearly the terms by which we must come to Him. And those terms include the fact that Christ, according to Hebrews 1, who existed, pre-existed with God and as God, spoke in these last days. Alright, and God has authoritatively spoke through Him and through His apostles. And that this Christ, who is the Creator, also came and died for sins and was raised on the third day and He ever lives to make intercession for us. That this Christ is bodily ascended and sits at the right hand of God. And that His blood was shed once for all. And so when it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, the Hebrews were being told that they need to come to God based on things they cannot see. They can't see the blood. They can't see Christ. They can't see the heavenly sanctuary. But nevertheless, this is the only way to come to God. Now, they were tempted to go back to things seen. They could see the temple. They could see the Jewish high priest. And they could see the blood of the animals. And so these things seemed more tangible to them than this unseen Christ. But going back because of the need to have things seen that seem holy, is called apostasy. And according to Hebrews, it's fatal. So, faith, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The issue of pleasing God. Do I have... Yeah, let me look at my cross-references. I have this one. I have it in there. Well, let's look up some cross-references and talk about pleasing God and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Uh, Lois, uh, Genesis 15.1, Kathy, Numbers 14.11, Pat, Numbers 20 and verse 12, Noel, 1 Chronicles 28.9, Elizabeth, um, Psalm 73.28, now I'm testing my memory, Kimberly, I got it. <laughs> I remember it for a whole ten minutes. Exodus 3.14. you have a Bible? You don't have your own? Okay. Uh, I'll give it to Diane then. Exodus 3.14. And then we'll move along here to uh, uh, Barb. Psalm 78.32. And Bert, Jeremiah 29.13-14. And we'll stop with those and then we'll look up some New Testament ones. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, 
hiding ground. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So God came to Abraham and said, I am your exceeding great reward. Now, Abraham is going to be, uh, after Noah, the next person of faith outlined here in Hebrews 11. And Abraham left everything that he needed. He was in Ur of the Chaldeans, which was a very luscious, um, agriculturally rich place. Then he moved to Haran. And then, after his fathers died, he, he went to uh, Canaan. They were having a famine there. And he never did have any land there other than a place to bury his wife. So, Abraham was accumulated great wealth, but his real reward was God himself. And I think that's the point of that cross-reference, that God is ultimately the reward, and that um, for us as well, the one thing we are promised is this, I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Lord says. And that ultimately, in, in heaven, it says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And though we have not yet seen him, when we do see him, we'll realize that what a great reward it is to know God himself. Yes? But the faith was no way that it's impossible to please God. What's happening, what he's saying here is these other men, God starts with Abel and Enoch and then Moses and Abraham later on. They're obeying the, the revelation that God had given them. But this is said in the context now that God's given us the ultimate revelation in his son. So to go back to Abel's revelation, or to go back to any of these other revelations, even Abraham's, would be a symbol for us. He's saying, he's saying these guys follow the revelation, but our revelation is still better. Okay, it's true, because Hebrews 1, 1, and 2 sets the stage for the book of Hebrews. All right? Well, let's turn to that. It was a, it was a couple of years ago when we were on that passage, so maybe you forgot it. <laughs> Hebrews 1, 1, and 2. But let's be reminded of the of what Hebrews is all about. It says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, that's what Keith was just talking about, God literally appeared to Abraham and spoke to him in some kind of a theophany. We don't know how. We don't know, but we know it was God. We know he spoke to Abraham. So that would be the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and these patriarchs of old. God spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Meaning, God had his ways of speaking authoritatively in the Old Testament. But it says in verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Now, has spoken, the tense in the Greek indicates, according to A.T. Robertson, in full and final revelation. So this final revelation that is going to be all we have or know until Christ returns, is in the New Testament. It was written by Christ, it was spoken by Christ, written by his apostles. And so we know what God has said through the scriptures in full and final revelation. And so then the book of Hebrews goes on to describe Christ and his work and what he said and what he did. When it says without faith in, in Christ, without faith in that revelation, it's right. impossible to please God for us. Right. Exactly. We can't expect to have our own theophany. I, I, there are people who say that. Uh, oh, yes. I, uh, I got into a debate with some people over this Brownsville revival. 
And I said, why would you have to get on an airplane and fly somewhere to meet God? Uh, I mean, you meet God through the Gospel, and that could be preached anywhere, so why do you have to go to Brownsville? Why do you have to go on a pilgrimage? And, and you know what the answer I got was? Oh, this is a theophany. So they're going to recreate the Old Testament. In other words, just like God appeared to Abraham, God appeared in Brownsville, Assemblies of God in, what town was that in Florida? Pensacola, Florida. God showed up in this one church, so if you want to really see God, you've got to go there. I, re- I reject that as being unbiblical, period. Absolutely not. And that was a wrong answer. When they told me that, then I know for sure that it was wrong. It's not from God. I mean, they could have said, well, we're preaching the gospel more clearly here. Or God is being gracious and using the message preached to convert the lost. And maybe it might be of some interest. But when they claim they have a theophany going on, that God's more present in Pensacola than he is in Minneapolis, then I know they're teaching heresy. Well, Toronto was the one before that. All right, so, uh, okay, Numbers 14.11, Kathy. All right, so if I heard that right, God was saying, how long will these people provoke me? He's done all these signs. He gave them manna, and they still murmured and complained. And then Numbers 14 was about apostasy because they were thinking it was better to go back to Egypt. They were complaining about what God had done, and they were not believing. Is it, does it say that in there, Kathy? Does it say they, how long were they not believed? Yeah, there it is. I, you're right. Here's what it says. How long will this people spare me? How long will they not believe in me? So the big issue, even in the Old Testament, was lack of faith. Well, how was it that those wilderness wanderers, this was Numbers 14:11, how was it they were not believing in God? Well, God had told Abraham that his descendants would be in Egypt for 400 years and that God was going to bring them out. And that God was going to give them the land that He had promised Abraham, which is Canaan. And they were, their unbelief was manifested in that they didn't believe God was going to really bring them into the land of Canaan. And, and, and they, they saw the Red Sea split. It's not like they didn't see enough miracles. They, they, they saw the manna every morning. They had all kinds of reasons to believe in God. But here, the lament is, how long will they not believe in me? And now the book of Hebrews is saying that the revelation we have is greater. We have more evidence than they had because we have a resurrected Savior. And we have a better thing, a better house. He talks about the house of Moses and then the house of Messiah, which is better. We got better promises, a better covenant. And, and so if we fail to come to God when we have this better thing, uh, we will be, surely perish is what it's saying here. Okay, so then the next cross-reference was Numbers 20 and verse 12. Okay, there it says that because you have not believed me and treated me as holy, you shall not bring the people in. So again, there was a failure of faith. Yeah, there's a failure of faith. Wow. Let's go to the next one, 1 Chronicles 28 and 9. As for you, my son Solomon, will the God of your father serve you with a whole heart and a holy mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. 
But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Wow. That was David talking to Solomon? I think so, yep. So so there is a command to seek God. How would you like a little biblical conundrum to try to solve today? Do you like those? (laughs) Apparent contradiction. It says in Romans 3, none seek after God. Right? You heard that verse? No, not one. None seek after God. No, not one. But it says in Hebrews 11, 6, that He's a rewarder of those who do seek Him. In the passage that Noel read, David is telling Solomon, seek after God and He'll let you be found. Let Himself be found by you. And so I remember having a lettered debate with Dave Hutt on this matter. And um, I had my position, he had his. His position was, well, you can't take the passage in Romans 3 literally because obviously some people do seek God, so it can't mean that none do. And I'd say, no, I take Romans 3 absolutely literally that none seek after God. That is none in the flesh. No, but no one in their carnal, unregenerate mind is willing to come to God on his terms unless God does a prior work of grace. All right? And then, and then, I'll just make this a monologue until somebody pipes up. That's okay. <laughs> That's usually not a problem with this group. If you're new here, we don't have any problem getting discussion. I, I went to speak at a church in Echo, Minnesota, uh, two or three years ago, and and the pastor handed me the outline for the discussion for Sunday school. And I said, man, this is a lot of points. We'll only get through one or two of these. He goes, oh, you'll get through them all. Nobody says anything. <laughs> I says, I can't even get through one verse in our Sunday school. Everybody says something. Well, anyhow, okay, here, let me tell you my position, and then you can either agree or disagree. My position is that what Paul says in Romans 3 is literally true for the unregenerate mind. That the thing, it says, the Bible says that, the, that um, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible says that the flesh, being in the flesh, is hostile to God. It says in 1 Corinthians 1 or 2, uh, 14, that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, and he cannot. Okay, right? Now, then why does the Bible say, seek God? If, if, if it's impossible for the unregenerate to come to God on his terms or seek God, because not because of um, some um, natural impossibility, I, I'm thinking of, I've got to get the right categories here, I'm thinking of Edwards. The impossibility is a moral one, okay, not a physical one. Meaning, to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead when God really did believe raised Jesus from the dead is not an impossibility for humans. There, there's no reason why anybody couldn't do that. But the refusal to do so is caused by the sin nature. So it's a moral uh, problem. All right, there's a moral blindness. Romans 1, there's a moral blindness. The whole world's indicted. Now, why have a verse that commands people to seek after God when you know that as they are in and of their selves, they won't do it anyhow because they have a moral inability? Because the command to seek after God is part of God's universal call. And that was, it's the same thing as when Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the same thing as in Revelation, the very end of it, 
when it says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let he who is thirsty come. And the proclamation of the universal call, which is commanding all men everywhere to repent, men meaning humans, in in, in, uh, Acts 17, God uses that through His Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so as we proclaim the Gospel, including not only the invitation, because invitation is actually kind of, it's part of it, but it's more than an invitation, it's a command. Seek after God. Command. Do it. Seek God. God. Come to Him on His terms. And if somebody awakens from their spiritual death, (laughs) and they're convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that in that state, awakened by the work of grace of the Holy Spirit, that person actually can now seek God and, and respond to the Gospel. And so you can command what's not totally possible. Now, <clears throat> let me help you with this. There's a, uh, because this is a sticky point for a lot of people. They don't understand it, including my dear friend Dave Hunt. He doesn't understand it. He can't understand it. He won't understand it. There's nobody that can convince him of this. And we've debated and debated and finally gave up because he believes man has the natural ability to seek God. And I, he won't believe what I say. But here's what I would say about this. The Bible does command us to do what we're not capable of doing. The, the Bible says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. You know, and, and so this Finney, Finney's the one that taught that God will only command what we're capable of doing as we are. No. If we think we can be perfect just because God told us to, we're fooling ourselves. The law leads us to the gospel. Yes, Keith. Going telling me don't sin. Okay. Doesn't doesn't fix anything saying don't sin here, don't sin there, and don't sin there either. You're not supposed to. Well, I raised my kids saying don't sin. It doesn't change things. You have consequences and there's all kinds of issues I'm trying to to work on their behavior. And I'm just dealing with the external. The easiest part is the behavioral part. And I say don't covet. You're in, in bigger problems. There's no there's no room to there's no room to run. Don't cover it. Okay, now I, now I have the power. It's like the command gives me the power. It's not, the command gives me the understanding that I'm guilty. That's all it does. Exactly. And, and that's why we're very strong believers here at Twin City Fellowship of preaching the law and the gospel. All right? Because the command to seek God, in a sense, is law. You must seek God and come to Him on His terms. That's God's command. And when you look at yourself and say, well, gee, I'm not seeking God. I'm seeking pleasure in this world. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if you respond and say, okay, what must I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Gospel. Gospel. Dean and then Bill. Right. It would be works. If God lowered the standard down where any sinner could do it, without any help from God, then we could be saved by works. What if God just said, okay, you know, I was too tough on you when I said to be perfect. You know, that, that, that's too strong. We can't expect anybody to do that. Why don't, why don't I just say instead, just be better than the other average sinner out there? <laughs> you know, if I would have heard that message, I knew I, when I was a sinner, uh, before I met Jesus Christ, I would have said, great, I'm doing that already. At least in my mind. I've got a video 
of uh, from Cross TV of them interviewing rapists and murderers in a in a life that are sentenced for life imprisonment in prison, and they asked these guys what they thought about themselves. And here, I mean, these are the worst, nasty, miserable criminals that that we have that haven't been executed because they were in states where they don't have the death penalty. It's the only reason they're alive. Minnesota. <laughs> Anyhow, these guys are saying, well, I'm a basically good person. Well, I made a mistake. Yeah, I made a mistake. I killed five people. But, you know, everybody has a bad day. <laughs> so if you preach this message, well, if you're just a good person, a little better than everybody else, the, the worst hardened criminals think that they're that. And my friend uh, Vince DeShane at Oak Park Heights had told me that years ago. So he said, these people don't think they're worse. They honestly don't. So, the law shows us our need for the gospel. So, Noel, what you read there, seek God with all your heart is a command from God. But we don't actually do it until the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts because otherwise the flesh is rebellious. It doesn't want to seek God. Okay, any questions about that? Oh, Bill, did you have a question? Or comment? I think that comment is a good comment because that's that's a comment to the general public and it's a mirror for what we've been taught for the last 20 years about ecumenicism and pluralistic garbage about how, you know, uh, my childhood wasn't correct or, or it's an alternative lifestyle. And for them to say, well, I would just... I had a bad day, that's nothing more than a mirror. Uh, and, and then as far as this uh, Romans uh, chapter 3 here, he says, uh, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then he goes on to say, there's none that seeketh that for God. When he says, as it is written, that is a uh, historical uh, reference to the Old Testament. And uh, it goes into the Psalms and all that. Right. It's a litany of passages that all say the same thing. Right. Exactly. And what that does, and, and Paul, I taught through Romans now four times in my life. And I love Romans. So we, we taught through it on the radio. We taught through it in Sunday school. I preached through it in church. And I taught, taught through it back in 1986 for the first time. And Romans, if you try to gut it of the, of the power of that, those passages, you're doing a, disju- a disservice to the gospel as well. Because what Paul is doing in Romans 1, 2, 3 is laying out universal human guilt. He says, Thou art without excuse, O man, who judges another. Because you who said, you know, has the law, you don't follow it. He says, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether your conscience convicted you, whether you had a Bible, whether you didn't have a Bible, Paul gets all of these categories and says that every mouth will be stopped, all are guilty, no one has an excuse. And then after he does that, he explains justification by faith. And you come to God. What, what a beautiful free gift of salvation when you realize how hopeless and bleak it was. And part of the reason people don't respond or understand the good news of the gospel is because the bad news has been soft-pedaled. Do you see what I mean? The bad news has been soft-pedaled. So you, just, you don't have bad news, you just have sort of sad news. And you don't have good news, you just sort of have nice news. <laughs> the bad news is you don't, you're not finding self-fulfillment, you know, or you don't have high self-esteem. The good news is come to Jesus and you'll feel better about self. Okay, I agree. 
So, who is actually seeking God? Yeah, draw close to God, He'll draw close to you. That only is going to be meaningful to somebody who's already a Christian. Unless it's the universal call. But I think in James, it's a, it's a, a instruction for Christians. But even prior to the submitting part, it would be an act of the Holy Spirit. Right. I know that. I know that because... But before the Holy Spirit convicted me, I was a blasphemer. I went from a blasphemer to a worshiper in about two minutes. And actually, it was faster than that. But it took me a couple of minutes to realize what happened. So, uh, I mean, I know very well. Okay, okay. Uh, do you have the next one? I think Elizabeth, then Diane. Psalm seventy-three, twenty-eight. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all the words. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Exodus 3.14 And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Okay, Exodus 3.14 I am that I am. Why does God call himself I am. Amen. Great answer. Absolutely. The present tense of the verb, the present continuum tense of the verb to be. In the Greek, it's a go, a me. And it says, I exist. There's no beginning and no end. The God eternally exists with all of his attributes is what is being claimed there. Now, that is important because this passage is saying this. He who comes without faith is impossible to please him, for he who comes must believe that he is. He is, meaning all that's entailed with deity, that he exists for all eternity, that he's not created, that he has all wisdom, might, power, love, justice, mercy, all of the attributes of of God are His. And that's what it means to believe that He is. Now, there's another passage we're going to get to, but first of all, let's get Psalm 78, 32, and then I want us to go to 1 John 8. That really puts us face to face with the Gospel. Psalm 78:32. <laughs> In spite of His wonders, they did not believe. Have you heard people say, well, if we just had more signs and wonders in the church, people would believe the Gospel? <laughs> Uh, the evidence says it doesn't work. Yes. If you look in the New Testament, when they were writing, you, you had all of Israel seeing all of Jesus' miracles for three years. You had the triumphal entry where they saw Lazarus, because that was one of the reasons it was so popular. But he'd raised physically from the dead coming to Jerusalem as a triumphal entry. And three days later, or a week later, they're saying crucifying. Yeah, these are the ones that saw the saw the multiplication of the bread, the uh, walking on water, the healing of the blind, the healing of the deaf. I'm going to preach on that this morning. By the way, when they want Barabbas instead of Jesus to be released. Yes. And even in Revelation, words prophesied that after all the stuff that there'll still be people that aren't. Yeah, it says, and they did not repent of their sorceries. So these people are doing sorcery to try to contact the spirit world in Revelation. 
And what God does is He takes this angel away from the abyss and these demons come out. Some kind of weird, nasty, demonic creatures that can sting people and make them wish they were dead. And so here's this supernatural realm coming upon the earth, only it's the evil supernatural realm. And all this really bad stuff's happening. And then when it's all done, finally the plague lifts. And it says, and they did not repent. And one of the things they didn't repent of was their sorceries. So here are people that know that this stuff is evil, it's wicked, and it's intent on harming us. But they go right back to that kind of activity. They don't turn to God. So how could you not believe in a sin nature? You know, how could you believe? I remember when I was a young man in the liberal church, they said, well, we believe in the goodness of our fellow man. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe, I believe in the wickedness of the world. Uh, Kathy. Yeah, we know the sin. Uh, who was one, one of the, one writer said that the, that the sin nature is, the, is one biblical doctrine for which there's overwhelming empirical evidence. All right, uh, Bert, Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. All right, you will see. We used to sing it. Yes, and it said, because it says we, we have to believe he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So I would say it is true. If we come to God on his terms, which is through Christ, and if we believe that his blood was shed for our sins... And if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that we have to repent of living for self and put our trust in Him and come to Him, and then if we come on that, that, on those terms and seek God, we believe He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. And that there's an eternal reward for every person who does that. Linda. Um, in that passage, in the one about Solomon, it talks about the heart. And I think that that is like the issue. It's like, you know, your heart and like, do you feel that you're right with God, you know, morally? Because everybody that thinks they're a good person, I mean, they might be seeking like God with their mind, but... Not with their whole heart. No. Right. I See, honestly, those if you're not a Christian, those passages should convict us of our need for something greater. I certainly know I didn't seek God with my whole heart before I was saved. I prayed. I remember distinctly one time I prayed. I was driving home from... I mean, I, I had been told by the pastor there's no resurrection from the dead and there's no miracles and that the stories in the Bible didn't happen. But I still had some idea there's probably a God. And I was driving home in an ice storm with my Opal Cadet and this was back before radio tires. And if you anybody old enough remember those bias ply tires on ice? I was like, woof. I mean, honestly, I was going to go in a ditch. I knew I was going to die. So I go, God forgive me for all the sins I ever committed. Amen. <laughs> Figured that would last me until I got home. So there, see, I was seeking God. But then as soon as I got home and I wasn't dead, I was right back to the party. You know, we talk about that passage and um, I think it's, 2 Corinthians 7.10 about godly sorrow producing repentance. Yes, that, that word is remorse there. I just looked it up. Yeah. It's, it's in the passage I'm preaching this morning. And, I mean, it's like, you know, you can in your mind be like, yeah, I'm a sinner or whatever. You know? I mean, but not really have, like, a sorrow over your sin. Right. You 
but the law, but the, but the Holy Spirit convicting that passage in John just means more to me all the time when it says the when He the Holy Spirit comes He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Without the Holy Spirit convicting us, we don't even see a need for righteousness, and we don't even believe that God's going to really judge. It, the Holy Spirit gives us that sense that God will be the judge, and we need His righteousness. Yes. For those non-Christians, when that's that's preached, you know, seek God with all your heart to generate that conviction. Well, it generates conviction in me as as a Christian because I don't think that I do seek God. I don't know whether there's goals or there's as I'm wandering along, all of a this big gaping hole appears that I'm not doing that. So it's a conviction to me. I don't I don't find any comfort to say, "Yay, I am. I'm the great God heart seeker." Or something. It doesn't, it doesn't generate that. No, that's true. <laughs> We, we need the comfort of the gospel even as Christians. And that's why we need to walk in faith. Because we're, we're seeking a, a God who we can't see. And, and, and looking for promises that are yet future. Well, I want to go to a passage now. Remember the great I am, I am that I am? Let's all turn to John chapter 8 and verse 24. This one's important enough for everybody to have it open in front of them. Because this will bring us face to face with the gospel. John 8, 24. It's a good one to know. It's a good one to know if the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door, I'll tell you that. When they, they, they put me on their do not come list, but, <laughs> but when they used to come, I always brought them to John 8 and I explained it to them from the Greek. He says this. I, Jesus says this, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, now notice he is in italics. Is it in yours? What does that mean? It's not in the Greek. It doesn't say he. He says unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Jesus made belief in his deity Essential for salvation. Unless you believe that I am, a go a me. Same words from the Septuagint in uh, Exodus 3.14. God says, I am that I am. He's claiming to be eternal God. And do you see why the Jehovah Witnesses wouldn't like that? They believe Jesus is a created being. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die, um, die in your sins. Look at verse 28, as long as we're in, in John 8. Jesus said, therefore, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. He again in italics. And I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak these things as God has taught me. So this, what does this lifted up have to do? Cross, right? When he's lifted up from the earth. So that, that his atoning work on the cross would reveal his divine nature. Especially the resurrection. And so that was the sign, the one sign. Remember he said that this evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs? But he said one sign will be given this generation. What was the one sign? Yeah, was it in Jonah? All right. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. His death and resurrection. And so when you are lifted up, then you know I am. So this sign that God gave the whole house of Israel... The resurrection of, of Jesus from the dead is determinative. And if they, if any, not only Israel, but all people, if we won't come to God, 
based on that one conclusive sign, the resurrection, will be lost. He doesn't say, well, if you didn't like that sign, I'll send Benny Hinn and slay you under the power. <laughs> okay. No, that's not conclusive. All right. Um, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now we go on here. That was Hebrews 11.6. I've mentioned coming to God on his terms. Hebrews 11.7. <clears throat> By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for salvation, for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So now we have Noah as an example of faith. Now it's just one sentence in, he, in the book of Hebrews, but what a big story Noah is. And uh, if you think about what all happened with Noah, unbelievable story. Notice it says he was warned by God. So, what, what was he warned by God about? I think this is an easy question, but the flood, right? Now, it's called things not yet seen. Now, let's keep our themes together so we understand Hebrews. Not yet seen is a theme in Hebrews. Why was the flood not? What, in what sense was the flood not yet seen for Noah? It was future. Yeah, they didn't have rain, much less a flood. So this is something never been experienced and yet future. Now it says in the Bible that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now for us, right now, in the year 2005, as believers, what do we believe that's not seen? Yeah. Christ in His body, in His resurrection body, we haven't seen. Peter says, we believe in Him whom we've not seen. That there's going to be a coming judgment, right? That God's going to destroy the world. Isn't that what it says? And so in the same way as Noah, because Noah had never... Have we ever seen the whole world go up in smoke? No. Has anybody seen that? No. Do we believe that it's going to happen? Yes. There's going to be a great conflagration. That's, a, that's the right word. Conflagration. Uh, burning. Uh, and uh, it says so in the Bible. We believe Jesus is coming again. We believe there will be a new heavens and new earth. We believe there will be a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. We believe there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. We believe that we will be with Him forever and ever and ever, and He will be our God and we will be our people. And we have seen none of that. But we've been warned by God and promised by God. So, warnings and promises of things yet future are things not seen, and faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now, I think that we're in our modern Christian world having a major failure of faith. Uh, And it's not a new one. Uh, what What do I mean by a failure of faith? Let's just go back to medieval Catholicism. Why? You know, we're, we're saying that the blood of Jesus was shed once for all. So, the blood of Jesus is things not seen, right? So, what does Catholicism do? They come up with the doctrine of transubstantiation. Because you can't see the blood, but yet we're saying, now we have tangible blood here. 
It's, it's real and tangible because people can't believe in non-tangible things. No, when you, when you tell people that they have to have something tangible to have faith, you're telling them they have unbelief. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So what else do they come up with that's tangible? Icons, right? Incense. We gotta, we gotta have our five physical senses working here so we can feel close to God. Now what do we have in the emergent church? Icons, incense, all of the same stuff. And they're saying, well, people can't come to God believing, uh, you know, all these doctrines that's so modern, the doctrine of the resurrection, the doctrine of justification by faith, the doctrine of uh, sin, and all of these doctrines, that's based on modern rationalism. And we're now postmodern, and we're in a relativistic, pluralistic society, and people don't believe doctrine. So we'll give them a tangible experience, and, that, and thereby they'll have faith. I fail to see that all that, that that's anything more than failing to have faith. We need to be like Noah and believe God based on His words written in Scripture about things not seen. Yes? Funerals were a good friend of mine and the guy who preaches on the, on the charismatic side. And what he said at the end of the funeral or at the end of the sermon that he had was that you know, Christianity is in a big crisis. There's a apostasy happening and it's hard to believe the gospel. So God is taking some people up to heaven showing them heaven and hell now so that we can, and they're coming back and now, so we can believe and increase our faith. Okay. So, so Keith, I'll repeat, I'll repeat that for the, for the um, internet crowd. Keith, a friend of mine here, went to a funeral and heard the pastor say people are having trouble with faith, so people are going to actually go to heaven and come back. Oh, they've been going to heaven and come back and telling us about it, so we can, now we can really believe. Now, let's just examine that biblically. What did Jesus say? Remember the parable or the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Right? And Luke, what was that? Luke 16, I think? And the guy is being tormented in Hades, and he says, okay, let me come back. No, there's a chasm fixed. You can't come back. Okay, but let me tell my brothers. Because if I come back from the dead and warn them about this, they'll repent. And what did Jesus say? Amen. <laughs> You're right. They have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't believe them, neither will they believe if a man comes back from the dead. And they didn't because Jesus did come back from the dead. Yeah. What's that? And Lazarus came back from the dead in John, and they didn't believe. And Jesus came back from the dead. And what was Jesus saying? If you have the Scriptures, you have what you need to have faith. You got Moses and the prophets. Believe what they said. And those. And what did Jesus say in John? Moses wrote about me, but you're not willing to come to me. So the bottom line is this: we have the scriptures, we have the word, we know Jesus was raised from the dead because in front of credible witnesses, the message has gone out to all the earth, and we can't say we need somebody to go to heaven and come back and tell us that. In fact, think about. Romans 10. He says, it's not in heaven so that somebody has to say, go over there and bring it back. It's not in the depth of the sea. But the word of faith, now, I didn't, this is not the Kenneth Copeland word of faith. 
<laughs> in fact, I'm pretty sure if I remember right in the Greek, it's the word of the faith. It's the gospel. But the word of the faith that we're preaching is near you in your, in your mouth. Believe it. It's here. It's in the Scriptures. And so, back to Hebrews 11, 7. Moses warned of God about things not seen. So, bottom line, we have to be willing to believe what's not seen if we're going to be coming to God and seeking Him on His terms. But what did, what did Noah do that's uh, praiseworthy? In reverence, reverence meaning godly fear, believing that God would judge the earth exactly as He said He would, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Now, he didn't make himself very popular with people while he was doing this. In fact, in, isn't it Peter where, called, where Noah is called a preacher of righteousness? Is that right? He was preaching. Not only building, he was preaching. Yeah, God has only judged this wicked world. You better repent. The flood's coming. He's building an ark. He's the biggest fool on the face of the earth. It's never rained before. <laughs> he's building an ark. And he's preaching righteousness. And they're not going to listen to him. And what happened was that his faith was vindicated when those floodwaters came and they were left behind to perish. That was his obedience that he really showed he had real faith. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because the next passage here in verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. So faith is believing in things not seen, but it's demonstrated through obedience. Because if you really believe, can you just think about this. If somebody absolutely really believed that tomorrow Jesus Christ is going to come in judgment, and, it was, and that's it. It's over. They'd be motivated. There would be observable evidence. Right. That you really had that belief. But, if you, but you don't take it seriously. Okay, so in reverence, he obeyed, prepared the, the ark for the salvation of the household, by which he condemned the world. Now, 2 Peter 2.5 says he was a preacher of righteousness. So both in his words and his actions, he's condemning the world. Somebody told me something. I included it in an article. No, no, it's not an article. It's in the book that's not yet published. But I heard this from a preacher. Think about this. If you start getting tempted to be results-oriented as a pastor, here's what he told me. He said, Noah preached for a 100 years, and he didn't have any converts outside of his own household. Now, how's that for failing? But he didn't fail because all God asked him to do was build the ark and preach. And he did that. But he didn't gain any converts. Nobody got in that ark. Absolutely nobody except for his own household. Jonah didn't even want to preach. And he only preached for one day. And a whole city repented. And he was mad about it. And so Noah is portrayed as a great man of faith in the Bible. And Jonah is not given a very good billing. He, even afterwards, he sat under there and moped around and said, you know... I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> Greatest preacher of revival in the history of preaching, and he was complaining because he didn't want it. Because he hated the Ninevites and he wanted them to burn up. So, think about that one when you're witnessing, and, and uh, pastors should be thinking about that because they get discouraged 
And sometimes they cave in and they go to the methods of, of the compromisers in order to be successful. And, and, in, and that's where I, used, I included this in my book. Because if Noah was defined as successful in the Bible, then you surely can't be counting numbers. Amen? So... That, that would be a great encouragement. And I, I have a real burden to encourage pastors to preach the gospel and not get, don't feel guilty because these people are calling you a failure because the world doesn't love your message. Uh, John says, if you were, or Jesus, no, John says, no, Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world will love you. But as it is, the world hates you because it hates me. So the world hates you. Welcome to Christianity. You're a follower of Jesus. You don't have to make the world love you to be successful. <laughs> All right. Sounds kind of simple, but it seems to be hard for people to understand. Uh, Cap, let's get some verses. we got like two minutes. Genesis 6.13. Keith, by the way, welcome, Keith. We allow you to visit once a summer. <laughs> um, Genesis 6.22. Through seven one, I think that's just two verses. So Genesis six thirteen, Genesis six twenty two through seven one. Kathy, Proverbs twenty two three. <clears throat> Linda, Ezekiel three seventeen to nineteen, and Denise two Peter two five. If we can get those read, we'll be done with this verse. Genesis six thirteen. Then God said to Noah, "The end of all flesh will come before me, for the earth is filled with violence." Okay, the end of all flesh has come before me, the Lord told Noah. So that was being warned by God. Genesis 6:22 through 7, 7:1. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house of the ark, for I have seen the righteous before me in this generation. Okay. Now, the righteous were, was Noah. But, but why was he righteous? Faith. Right? By faith being worn, he condemned the world, became an heir to the righteousness which is according to faith. Right. Yep. This, this is another one. I have a section on this and I, I expound on this. I think it was maybe in my article. But in the purpose-driven life, this is totally backwards. In a purpose-driven life, Noah makes God smile. Noah, Noah was a good person and he made God smile. You can be a good person and make God smile too. But the passage that is being cited in this loathsome translation doesn't say that. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the passage in the Scripture says that God gave Noah grace. And that would agree with the New Testament. By grace you're saved through faith. But the mistranslation has Noah giving God something. It's a total role reversal. So I wrote about that. And, and you know, this isn't just a small area. This is a destruction of the Gospel. This isn't just some tiny little mistake. And they say, why are you so alarmed about this? Well, because the Gospel is at risk. If we think we can make God smile by being good people, welcome to the United Methodist Church. Oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Sorry, Methodists. Some of you believe God. I know that. All right. I was thinking about my youth. That's what I grew up in. 
<laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. All right, Proverbs 22.3. <laughs> um, a prudent man perceives evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Okay, the prudent man sees evil and hides himself. That was Noah. Ezekiel 3.17-19. and 19. Linda. That's interesting. Now, I used to chafe under that verse when I was in Bible college because they used it on us to motivate us to go out witnessing. All right. Um, And I thought, well, come on, you're just using guilt manipulation to make me go witness because they used that verse when I was in Bible college. But I see that verse in a different light now, but I think it is valid. The preacher, thats it shows why we need to preach the law and the gospel. If we uh, are preaching and we're portraying the idea that you're okay the way you are, and that you're not faithing God's wrath, but that Christianity is just another uh, religion to put uh, springs on your buggy so you make it through life better, we would fall into that category of failing. Right? And so we need to preach the law and the gospel so that people know that they are going to perish if they don't repent. I think that's true. Now, it doesn't mean that every time I walk down the street, every single soul is going to hell is my fault. That's how I used to feel. You know, and I'm not trying to say that, but in as much as God gives me a podium, if I'm a pastor and I'm getting a podium and I don't preach, preach it clear, I am accountable to God. Would you agree? He said, yeah, yes, Acts 20, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Okay, one more verse, and we better get, we, we're holding up the show here. Second Peter 2, 5, For if God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of these people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the blood on the world of the And that is where it calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2, 5. Well, may the Lord give us not only this gospel faith, but a boldness, to proclaim it to the people as he gives us a chance to do so. Thank you for sharing in the scriptures together this morning.